With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. Altucher at the James Altucher Show. Really happy to have a very special guest, Carol Leifer. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Now, Carol, we're, we're here because mostly because you just wrote an excellent book, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying, Lessons from a Life in Comedy. But I think many people, many people know your work, but might not know your name. So I just kind of want to go over all of the things you've done in the past 30 or 40 years. Okay. Uh, you know, your, your main thing probably that people know of is that you've written many episodes of the TV series Seinfeld. Uh, you've also written episodes on some of my other favorite shows like the Larry Sanders show, mm -hmm. SNL. You've written mm -hmm. seven Academy Awards. I don't know how many times you've been on Letterman or Johnny Carson. Maybe you could fill us in some more on what you've done. Yeah, I um, well, I was on staff of um, on Seinfeld and of Larry Sanders. I was on staff at Saturday Night Live. I wrote an episode of uh, I've written for Modern Family. Yes, I have written the most of any woman writer for the Oscars. And um, when I was starting out in my um, stand-up days, uh, David Letterman gave me kind of an uh, open invitation to come on the Letterman show, which I did the NBC show. Uh, I think it was 26 times. So, 26 uh, times on yeah. Letterman. And were you ever mm -hmm. nervous going out there or was it just like, this is my buddy doing a show and I'm just going to talk to his audience? No, I'm, I'm always uh, anxious whenever I do a show. I think it's good. It's kind of part of the process. You should be a little scared. You're going on <laughs> TV in front of, uh, millions of people, you're, uh, you shouldn't be relaxed. So, so how do you kind of find the right balance though? Because obviously if you're too anxious, you can't perform. And like you say, if you're not anxious enough, you might take it too loosely. So how do you find the right balance and cultivate that? Um, what I usually, you know, uh, do is I've been at this for so long, I kind of have where my comfort zone is of where I should be before I go out and do a TV show. 
and it's a good mix, um, like I was saying, of uh, nerves, but, you know, a healthy anticipation and excitement about doing it. You know, to some extent, I wonder if there's like a biological thing that goes on. So you feel this anxiety, and then the second you're on stage, it's like this uh, fight or flight syndrome takes place, and you get this runner's high, a rush of endorphins, and that kind of drives the performance. It's almost like the anxiety creates the runner's high. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that um, uh, uh, I don't know people who... You know, Jay Leno is a very relaxed performer. I mean, he's a guy that can kind of be eating a piece of pizza and then they announce his name and he can go out on stage. But I don't think most people are like that, you know, in that kind of relaxed zone that he's in before he goes and does stand-up. But, um, I, you know, I uh, think it's a good place to be at. You should take it, you know, to me the nerves are like you're taking it seriously, you know, and you should because – you're performing for people, and you should give them uh, your best. And, and Carol, because your book is so much about taking lessons from this career in stand-up and applying it to many areas of life, like, like business or, you know, whatever, all, all, all sorts of industries, how would you, how would you apply the, that sense of anxiety or those nerves so let's say someone who's going into an interview or someone starting at a job or starting a business or whatever. Well, I would say, and my book, you know, thank you for promoting it. It really is, is things like that. I really saw that, you know, I've, I've been doing, I've been in the comedy business for 37 years, which is really quite staggering, even to me. And I've been doing it since college. So I've really been doing it, you know, really uh, since kind of like all my working life. You know, I had jobs in high school, but this is really what I've always done. And um, I really thought the things that I've learned are really universal. They're not just show business lessons. Um, So the thing that I share a lot in the book is, you know, being nervous is is normal. I mean, I'm nervous still when I go in to have um, a meeting, you know, to potentially write on a show or to potentially, you know, write a project. Um, you should be nervous. So I, I tell people to not be, don't be hard on yourself if you're nervous because um, what's happening is right. <laughs> you know, if you're um, not a little bit um, hepped up about it, then I think maybe you're going in a little too cocky or right. a little but too. If you're, but if you're yeah. too nervous, is there a way to kind of calm down to, like you say, that I don't like the words the comfort zone too much, but like the uh-huh. sweet spot of nervousness. Right. I think what, you know, a lot of this stuff, too, is really practice, and that's the good answer and the unfortunate answer, because the only way that you get better at it is by going on job interviews and having a million meetings and that kind of thing, because then it becomes second nature to you. So you kind of have to just kind of give yourself a break and know that maybe your first few interviews you know, I couldn't pick up a, a water bottle. Like, you know, they give me some water in a meeting. I couldn't do it because I would feel like, oh, my hands are going to shake when I pick up this, you know, water bottle. So um, I, everybody's had those moments. And, and, and Carol, you know, I just want to mention to the audience, you were rejected 22 times in a row when you tried out for Johnny Carson. So this is clearly something you practiced. Yes, absolutely. And... Uh, the other thing that I talk about in the book and encourage people about is, 
you know, you should be failing in your career because everybody fails. And if you're not failing, you're kind of not doing something right because it's through those failures that you really get better and learn what you're doing more. So I always um, say to people, don't be afraid to fall on your face because that's part of the process. Nobody has a career where it's just success after success after relaxed interview, you know, sailing through everything. That's not how it is. And for some reason, people think it's supposed to be that way, but it's not. It's true. And, you know, I, I, I thought a really powerful uh, statement in your book was you had this very important thing happening. Um, I think it was the premiere of a show that you had worked on, and it's on page 167 of your book. Jerry Seinfeld comes up to you. He's there for support, and he says to you, Carol, there's not just one thing. That, right. <laughs> and, and And I think that applies to this. Like, people always say to me, like, oh, this is my one shot at my dream job. There's no such thing as the dream job. There might be like a lot, many great jobs you could have, but what he said is really important. Like there's not just one thing. You're always going to go on to the next thing. And you've proven that in all the variations of your comedy career. Comedy is like an umbrella for your career. It's not the one thing you did. Right, exactly. And, you know, that really was great advice from Jerry Seinfeld because... Um, that really is so true. You know, you can set your sights on so many, oh, this is it. This is the one thing that's going to make or break me. And I've known so many people who, from not getting a certain job they had their sights set on, uh, out of the blue came the dream job, you know, or um, some other strange set of circumstances contributed from that failure, per se, in quotes, to something incredible happening. You know, my big... My biggest piece of advice for people is just to always keep your head down and keep working because when you start to judge yourself and when you start to be like, oh, I messed that up and that was the, you know, my one shot. And, and when you start to do the critical voice, that's where you stand in your own way. You just have to, uh, you know, another big tentpole of my book is control what you can control and screw the rest because there are so many things that you can't control, you know, um, I go up for writing jobs still and jobs that I want and I don't get them, but I go in prepared. I know the show. I know the ideas that I want to pitch. And then whether they hire me or not, well, that's up to them. I, I, you know, I don't have control over that. So I let that part go, but I control what I can, which is being prepared and giving a good meeting. You know, I, I, I think, you know, judging from your book, I think you're underplaying a little bit what you do because an important part of your book, I've noticed, is the uh, the application of kindness towards finding success in your career. And you have a great example. I think it was with uh, the Larry Sanders show, or uh, you you at first didn't get the job you wanted, and then um, you ran into Gary Shandling, and you didn't criticize anybody. You didn't get upset. Uh, you kind of rolled with it. And then you ran into Gary Shandling later and you were like, oh, it's too bad. I didn't get this. I really wanted to work with you. And then the next thing you know, you got the job. Yeah. I mean, I, um, that was a very good recollection of what happened. You know, I didn't get the Larry Sanders show. I was a little bit miffed about it because they really put me through the paces of it. And it was a lot of Oh, we'll know next week, we'll know next week, we'll know next week. And then I heard they hired somebody else. And I tell that story because 
you know, when I ran into Gary a little bit later, and if I had had an attitude about it, well, that doesn't really serve anybody. I mean, it, it wouldn't have served me, and it certainly wouldn't have, you know, it would have um, been repellent to him. So I try to tell that story in, like, don't hold a grudge. Don't be, uh, you know, sour grapes about things, because if you're actually okay about it and you keep a sense of perspective about it, what could happen to you is what happened to me. I ran into Gary again, and he said, if something happened with the show where I had another opportunity, would you be open to it? I was like, absolutely. And lo and behold, the woman writer that they had hired did not turn out to be someone they wanted to continue working with, and I got the job. So I I thought it was a really important lesson to tell in my book because, um, you know, it's also a power balance thing in terms of work. You know, when you're applying for jobs and – you're the one in the, you know, not in the driver's seat, um, you you don't, there's no room for you to have an attitude because the power balance is off. You're the one going up for the job. You know, what would it have helped if I had had an attitude with, uh, you know, Gary Shanling? It would have screwed me. So, you know, but you know it's also, so, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I I'm, I'm saying, always accused also, of interrupting people, so so I have, I'm going to let you go ahead. Don't worry. No, it, it was just uh you know, it's not smart to have an attitude about things because it will stand in your own way. But, you know, I bet you many people in your situation at that point would have had an attitude. I mean, you were coming off of writing for, you know, the most historical TV show and, you know, of all time, Seinfeld. And here, you know, Larry Sanders show rejected you. How dare they? Like, I would have maybe had an attitude, but but you didn't. How did you kind of not have an attitude? Well, I think when you, you know, and it's why I want everybody to pick up my book, because I have all these years of experience. When you see that it doesn't serve you at all to have an attitude about these things. Um, and then also, you know, the workplace, you have to go in kind of knowing the ground rules. The ground rules are I go up for a job and the other side of it is they get to pick whoever they want, <laughs> you know, whether it's me or not. And that's and that's how it is. That's how it's fair. So I don't really have a – it doesn't serve me to have an attitude about not being hired because then I'm not playing by the rules. Remember, the rules are I go up for the job and then they get to hire me or not. <laughs> so um, Right. So, so, so it's almost – like your prior resume is okay but at the end of the day you know you, you don't know what you're up against like you say in one point you could be up against a hundred relatives or uh, of the producer or you know hundred people smarter younger different whatever you don't know who you're up against even right you never know you never know who you're up against and you know it's always important to just bring your A game because then you're controlling what you can control, you know. And I do give people tips in the book about uh, I think it's always a good idea to Google the person you're going to meet with before you meet with them. I think it's always great to look at their um, nonprofit activities and the things that, you know, um, outside of work, like if somebody Googled me, they'd know that I'm very into animal rescue and, um you know, animal adoption. And, uh, you know, I'm the first to admit if I'm interviewing somebody and they bring up their great story about, you know, adopting a dog or after the meeting sending me a note and donating $10 to a rescue organization in my name, don't think I wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be like add 10 points to that person, you know? Well, 
Well, Carol, I have to tell you, I use this exact advice on your your Gary Shandling story. I use this exact advice in order to book you on this podcast <laughs> because it was really hard to book you on this podcast, and it was a lot of back and forth, uh, and not with you, but with you know everybody uh, right, involved. Right, my publicist. And, yes, uh, absolutely. And and no nobody's fault or anything, but I was just always kind of like. You know, it's sort of like how water will eventually wear away even the hardest rock. And yes. eventually uh -huh. we scheduled this and I was grateful. No, you really, you know, you really um, inadvertently followed so many of the lessons in my book, James, because, uh, you know, you uh, complimented me on Facebook about my book. And, you know, you but were sincerely, really that's nice why I wanted you on here. I love the book. No, I know. I loved it. But then, you know, what's you're leaving out some really important parts. And then I asked you to post a review online of my book, which you immediately did. Believe me, I have writer friends who I've asked, uh, by the way, post a nice five-star review on Amazon. They still haven't done it. You were efficient and you did it. And it was a great review. And then I felt like, well, I want to you know, I want to give back to you because you were so nice to me and so much of my work philosophy is that. I'm nice to people, you know, who are nice to me and vice versa. You know, one hand washes the other and I thought that was so nice of you that even though this isn't a uh, you know, uh, being on the Today Show or whatever, I was happy to help you because you were kind enough to me. Let me tell you, this this podcast is bigger than the Today Show. This this po <laughs> this will move more books than the Today Show, which I sure. I personally think is useless actually to go on the Today <laughs> Show for books. But I want to talk about more stories from your book that I, that really kind of impressed me. So there was one story which I I resonated so much with because I see it in almost every industry. This mistake that happens. You talk about how. You were one time working on a script and you asked a friend of a friend who was an attorney to help and they were funny and whatever happened with the script happened. But then you, you were working on another script and you asked for help again and uh -huh. they wanted money right away. And yes. bam, that was it. That, that was the end. They ruined a chance for maybe a multi-million dollar dream career uh, <laughs> because they wanted to charge you a, a hundred dollars a joke or whatever. Right. And people right. always make this mistake. They always aim too low and yes. miss out on the big. No, you know, it's really glad that you brought that up because there are so many opportunities that people don't realize that. Uh, you know, I already recognized this person's talent. They're they're an attorney, but when they started to look at my script and add jokes, I was so impressed. And when I went back to them to ask them for more jokes for my next project, um, you know, the right thing to do would have been like, absolutely, I am uh, excited to read your script and add jokes because it's kind of the way, you know, what this person didn't know, this attorney didn't know is that, Whenever I approach my professional writing friends about uh, punching up a script, nobody pays each other. I don't get paid when people ask me. It's kind of like the way it is. So, you know, I, I was so especially frustrated because, uh, you know, I have hired people uh, who were just, you know, just because they were valuable and it didn't matter what they did for a living, just because they were valuable. So if this attorney had just you know, handed in some, you know, another round of great jokes, I definitely would have hired them whenever I had the chance to do that on another project, you know. So it was very 
short-sighted, you know, when somebody doesn't see the forest for the trees. Well, and, and you show that, I think, again and again, like, you know, you mentioned how, um, you know, both Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, when they were kind of like uh, MCs at their own different comedy clubs, they would often, you know, re reject you for doing stand-up, and yet, you know, you persisted and they hired you to go to write for their show and be, you were like a co-executive producer on the show. How did you kind of get past the gatekeepers on that and, and get on the show? Well, the Seinfeld story is really just a tribute to uh, having, you know, a, a, a round of serendipity because, you know, the stars were aligned. I was lucky in that they were both old friends of mine. So we went, you know, really back they both go back to my first day of show business they were the MCs when I auditioned on an open mic night at these two different comedy clubs uh so I had that going for me the other thing is we like to hang around each other which is so much of getting hired on a show you have to like the people that you hire because you're going to be spending you know endless amounts of time with them so I had that going for me and then third one was you know kind of a strange um piece of uh, weirdness going on for me. They wanted people who'd never written on sitcoms before. So I was lucky because I hadn't written on a sitcom yet. And they were specifically looking for uh, people who were new to sitcoms and had a fresh take, you know, on it. So I got lucky that way too. So um, well, that's interesting because you weren't, you obviously weren't new to writing comedy. You had been doing it for, for many years. What's the difference between um, writing for stand up and writing uh, jokes or concepts for a sitcom? Oh, well, they're really very two different animals. You know, I know great people who are great stand ups who could never in a million years write a sitcom, and vice versa. I know so many great sitcom writers who you know, or would be disasters as stand-ups. Each thing has its own kind of skill set, you know. Um, so writing stand-up doesn't really translate to writing for a TV show, you know. Well, I, I there was one of your shows um, that I just really loved. It's one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes, the one where um, George needs... Uh, a deaf woman at a party to kind of read lips ac uh, of his girlfriend across across the room. I thought right, that was right. just a brilliant concept. And that, that would work in stand-up, don't you think? Like, there's a way to apply that in stand-up. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that, James. That's hard. Now, because, did that actually uh, happen to you, that event, like, in your real life? No. Um. Actually, and I tell the story in the book that uh, Kathy, I forgot, Kathy Buckley, who is a deaf comedian, was on the Howard Stern Show. And uh, he was talking with her about reading lips. And my imagination kind of ran wild, like how great would it be to have a uh, friend who's deaf who can lip read someone's lips and find, you can find out certain kind of sneaky things, you know, or secret things. So that's really what inspired it. But then, you know, the synergy of being at Seinfeld and um, was... It's perfect you know, for George's character. Yes, yes. No, it did fit nicely with George, absolutely. But, you know, it was... Uh, then that just kind of starts the process at a sitcom of creating an entire episode with stories for each of the four characters. Now, when you were... So you, so you come up with this concept. It's like this 
flash of brilliance in your head and you're walking over to Larry David's office. Are you feeling that similar kind of nervousness? Like, how am I going to present this? What's he going to say? I hope he doesn't reject this. Like, what was going through your head? Um, you know, I was always, I think all the writers were anxious whenever they, um, had to pitch to Larry and Jerry. I mean, it wasn't easy, uh, you know, and they either, you could tell quickly if they loved an idea or didn't respond to it. But um, I kind of got, like every writer there, kind of got a lay of the land of, you know, what to do when you pitched. It wasn't uh, too much bullshitting up front. It was kind of getting to it and um, uh, and letting them, uh, socking it to them. And uh, so, so Larry, of course, jumped up and said, I want to do that. Like, uh, and then you went off to write the script, you know, once he approved the concept. And then you would kind of um, go off and outline kind of what you wanted to do, come back to them with a few different stories for the other characters and kind of take it from there. It's it's a little it sounds a little like how he does curb your enthusiasm where it's yeah, sort of like absolutely. these broad outlines but then you know he's got such great comedians on the show they they sort of improv along while they're doing it. Right, right. That's Have you true. ever thought about working on on curb your enthusiasm? Well, he's not doing it anymore. <laughs> oh, he's I want season 9. He's not doing season 9? Uh yeah, I don't know. Uh you know, I just did an event with him and um he seemed really super on the fence about it. It didn't seem like something that was going to happen. Well, then let me let me focus on one other thing in the book that I really liked, which is you're talking about Jay Leno and how he was one of the nicest comedians out there. And you said he has something called the rule of 10. Maybe you can explain that because it seems like it's a very complicated rule to follow. It's actually quite easy. And what it is and um, and like I said, uh, you know, I did learn it from Jay Leno because I would think of all the celebrities I've met over the years, he really is the most uh, gracious to fans and the most, um, I, I mean, however long a line there is for people ever who wanted an autograph or take a picture, he'll he'll stay till the last person. And he just talked about the rule of ten being for every person that he gives an autograph to, it's really not just one person that he's made a fan of. It's kind of ten people because that person will go back and they'll tell ten people that, wow, you know, Jay Leno was really nice and he took a picture with me and he signed, them, you know, whatever picture I had. Um, and I think it's a really important business lesson because, um, you know, one of my standard tent poles of business is treat people the way that you like to be treated. It's pretty simple. And, you know, when you, that means being nice a lot of times. And you'll see that it really is tenfold because when you're nice to people, they usually go back and tell 10 people that you were nice. And it also works conversely. If you're also a prick and rude, that gets back kind of to people tenfold too. So it's always good to... You know, I like to be a fair, uh, straight shooter with people and, you know, be uh, be nice. So so I, I think I wonder about the middle ground. Like, let's say you're someone like, I don't know, a Richard Branson or Warren Buffett or, or even a Jay Leno where they get they probably get now thousands of emails a day and there's no way for him to respond to all those. Mm -hmm. What's kind of this? How do, what's the strategy there where there's sort of a, you can't go you're not going to be a prick, but you're not going to be you can't respond to every email either. Yeah, no, you certainly can't, uh, uh, you know, 
if you're someone of that stature, you can't respond to everybody. I'm just kind of bringing up the examples where, you know, when Jay performs in Vegas and people wait outside his dressing room door or where, you know, when he's leaving the casino, that kind of thing, where people are waiting right there, he's always, he'll stop for every single person. And even if it takes him a half an hour and he's on his way out, you know, to catch a plane to go home, he'll do it. But, you know, don't be fooled by people's success. You know, I think kind of people think the more successful people get, you know, like a Richard Branson or, uh, you know, somebody of that stature, then they they become kind of rude and mean. Um, You know, I think no matter how successful you are, your business philosophy doesn't really change that much. You know, it doesn't really waver. And the big guys are successful because they pretty much kept that intact. You know, it's not like, oh, I've become so successful now I can be a prick to people. It's like, you know, it's always kind of pretty standard. So, okay, so I, I want to be respectful of your time. We're, we're at the two-minute or the one-minute warning now. Um, okay. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying. Uh, it's an excellent book. I cannot believe some of the blurbs you got on this. My, my favorite people in the world, Judd Apatow, Seinfeld, Sarah Silverman, Chris Rock, J.J. Abrams took a break from writing both Star Wars and Star Trek to write a blurb <laughs> for your book. So you. this is really incredible, and it's a testament to what you're saying in the book, that, that th- these are what people are doing for you. Larry David, Paul Reiser, Dave Letterman. So thanks again for coming on my podcast, spending the my time. My pleasure. And thank it- you for being so nice and respectful of me. And, uh, you know, when I asked you to post a review, you were kind enough to do it, and then I was happy to do your podcast. I think you have really great instincts and you're really smart. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Absolutely. So, you should. Well, good luck. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have you on again at some time. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. Bye. For more from James, check out the James Altucher show on the Stansberry radio network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.